And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Jesus says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come up against you. Yet you do still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I would add, he who has an ear, she who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to us this morning. One of the stranger stories of World War II. I love World War II history. And one of the weirder stories I've come across is uh, near the end of the war, uh, the Germans were trying to figure out how to salvage the war after D-Day. Because once the Allied forces had stormed Normandy, I mean, it was pretty much just a matter of time. And the Germans knew that, and they knew that their only chance to salvage the war was that they had to try and push back the Allied forces and not let them take any more ground. And so what they wanted, one of the ways they wanted to do this is they wanted to reclaim land that had already been taken. And so they sent spy planes to fly over the area, fly over these these little towns in France. And they, you know, took these aerial photos and they sent these planes to scope out the land, assess the situation. And what they found when the photographs developed was that the Allied forces had massive units all over France. I think we have a picture of one of these. This is, I mean, this was in every little town all over France. Tanks everywhere, jeeps, artillery. I mean, all this sort of stuff. And, they, and this is what they saw, and it terrified them. And it intimidated them. It scared them. I mean, the U.S. Army had tanks and jeeps and cannons everywhere, all over every little place in France. And they, even as they would fly over, they would hear radio chatter of soldiers preparing for battle. And the Germans became intimidated, they became scared, and so they gave up on trying to outflank the U.S. Army, and they ended up losing the war. But what they didn't know, however, is that all of those tanks, all of those jeeps, all of those cannons were fake. They were inflatables. Look at this. (laughs) And the radio chatter that they heard, that was all actors. And years later, all this information became declassified. And when this happened, this became known as the ghost army. And what, think about this for a moment. This army looked impressive from a distance. But when you got up close, it was all actors and hot air. It was a ghost army. And that's cool when it comes to freedom. (laughs) The church in Sardis, though, Nothing cool about it. They were a ghost church. They looked impressive from a distance, but if you looked closer, there wasn't much there. They had a reputation for being alive, but the reality was they were dying. But Sardis was a ghost church. They had a reputation for being alive, but the reality 
Everybody else saw them as this great thriving church. But what Jesus saw, Jesus doesn't look at the outward appearance. Jesus looks at the heart. What he saw was a church that was dying, a church that was falling asleep. He said, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. But then Jesus, in his grace, he gives them a chance to hear his words and heed his voice. He says, wake up. He pleads with them. And strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Listen, Sardis had an impressive reputation. It's possible that among the seven churches, Sardis was the largest. Sardis was the most influential. You know, all the other churches were facing persecution. They had false teachers, heresy. They had all sorts of just problems. From the outward appearance, we have no record of Sardis having any issues. From the, out, from the outside. I mean, they looked like a healthy church. They talked like a healthy church. They were probably large, uh, larger than many of these other churches that were facing persecution. If they were around today, this is the church. Their pastor would be on the cover of magazines. Their pastor would be speaking on television. Their worship band would be selling albums. Their social media game would be strong, you know, like pictures of smiling people on Instagram all the time. Like, man, this church has got it together. They got an impressive website. Like, man, they look good. But Jesus sees through all of it. And he says, your works, it looks good on the outside. And your works, though, are incomplete in the sight of God. In the sight of people, they may have looked good and vibrant. But to Jesus, they were asleep. They were sleepwalking. They were doing all the things that churches are supposed to do and what Christians are supposed to do, but with none of the love and affection and joy and peace that comes with walking in the spirit. Now, I want to get personal for a moment. This is something that I constantly struggle with, and I imagine you do, too. That I never want my outer reputation to exceed my inner reality, especially when it comes to my faith. But I do confess that there are many times in my spiritual life when I have felt like a ghost army or a ghost Christian where I look fine on the outside, but inside I'm falling asleep. That's happened to me many times and I know that's happened to you. People email me, they say, you know, Will, I feel like I'm in a dry season. I feel like I don't have the vibrancy in my faith that I once had. So I know that I'm not alone where there have been times where you feel like you're doing everything right and you look the part on the outside, but your inside you feel like is deteriorating. And I know that there are some of you this morning, I believe, that you look fine to most of us. You came in, you know, during the handshaking time, you're smiling and nobody in this room can tell that anything's wrong with you. But you know inside that your spiritual vitality is slipping away. And you feel like you're falling asleep. And maybe right now you feel like you're not walking in the spirit. You feel like you have no passion for prayer. And maybe you've begun to tolerate sin in your life. And you feel like you're dying. And this passage of scripture serves as a warning, a wake up call. But it ought to give us great hope because Jesus says that even those who have fallen asleep can wake up. It's like smelling salt. Anybody had their bell rung? Might play sports, you know, get knocked out, and then somebody puts the smelling salt. It jars you, but it brings you back to consciousness. That's a good thing. It's for your good, and that is what this wake-up call from Jesus is today. It's like smelling salt. He wants to shake you out of your sleepiness. He wants to wake you from your coma. He says, wake up. 
And this is what he tells us to do. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Jesus, the first thing he tells us to do, if you feel like you've fallen asleep, how do, we, how do, you, how do you get life back if you've fallen asleep as a Christian? The first thing Jesus tells us is to wake up. See, if you notice, Jesus mixes metaphors here. He says, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. And then he says, wake up. And he says, strengthen what is dying. And so there's like all, there's three things happening. He's like, you're dead, you're asleep, you're asleep, and you're in the process of dying. You're like, what is it? I think Jesus is using this language intentionally because I think he's trying to say that no matter where you are on the spectrum of drifting away from God, whether you're falling asleep or whether you, your spiritual heart has stopped beating altogether, Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And I can wake you up whether you are dead or whether you are asleep or whether you are in a coma. I'm calling you to wake up. And by the power of the Spirit, you have the power to walk in newness of life. And my question for you this morning, if you feel like there's spiritual deadening in your heart, I want to ask you, do you want to get your spiritual life back this morning? And if you do, the first thing that you must do is you've got to wake up. So you know when you're having a dream or a nightmare and it hits you that it isn't real? You know, my son this week, my wife has been out of town all week. It's just been me and my son. And my son has special needs and has difficulty sleeping. So I put him in the bed with me so I don't have to get up and go to his room multiple times a night. And he has night terrors. And... Uh, the other night we were laying in bed and all of a sudden he just, he screams and he starts shaking and I forgot what he said, but he said something that sort of indicated that he had some sort of nightmare going on. And I just said, Hey Israel, it's not real. I'm right here. And he quieted down and he had peace again. And maybe you felt that when you're dreaming sometimes something weird is happening in a dream and it like doesn't add up and you go, this isn't real. This is a dream. And you snap out of it and you're able to wake up. Jesus is saying, sometimes you must do that spiritually. You've got to recognize when you're asleep and you've got to snap out of it. You've got to wake up. And the way you do that is you've got to admit that one of the ways we wake up is we've got to first admit that we're asleep. See, when you know your reputation doesn't match your reality, you're asleep. And if, you keep, if you're trying and trying and trying to manage the facade and you're trying and trying and trying to keep people from knowing that you're struggling and you're going through the motions trying to pretend and protect your image and your reputation, you are asleep spiritually and you need to wake up. If you have a secret habit that is consuming you and you're ashamed and you're trying to shove it down and you're trying to keep a secret and it's choking you from the inside and it's putting you to sleep, you need to recognize what's happening in your life. That sin in your life, that shame in your life, it is, it is numbing you and it's putting you to sleep and you need to snap out of it and you need to recognize, admit, and acknowledge that you are not fully alive. Ephesians 5 verse 11 says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, meaning when, when, you're, when you're in sin, take no part in it, but instead expose your sin. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that, you, they, that we do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. 
That's a promise from the scriptures. When you are dead and when you are dry and when you are living in sin, bring that sin to the light. Confess your sin to God and to others. And the promise of the scriptures is that Christ will shine on you. This is one of the great promises of the Bible. It's paradoxical. But that when you bring your sin and your shame into life, light, only then can you overcome it. And it's a paradox because we think that if people knew what was on the inside, we would die. But the truth of the scriptures is you're dying because you're keeping it on the inside. And if you let it out for others to see when it becomes light, when light shines on darkness, there is no more darkness. So bring the darkness out. Let light shine on it. And God, it says the promise of the scriptures that Christ will shine on you. A few weeks ago, I went and worshiped with our Celebrate Recovery ministry that meets on Monday nights. And I love this ministry. Every church I've been a part of uh, in my ministry has had a Celebrate Recovery ministry. And I'm so glad that our church has this. Lindsay is doing an awesome job leading this. And every person in our church that is a part, that I know is a part of Celebrate Recovery, has seen dramatic spiritual growth in their lives. Everyone I know that has been a part of Silver Recovery has seen dramatic spiritual growth in, her, in their lives. And Silver Recovery, it is a program that it blends a 12-step recovery program with the scriptures, with the gospel. And teaches us how the gospel of Jesus helps us overcome our hurts, our habits, and our hangups. Whether you have addiction, whether you've been abused, whether you have codependency issues, whether you, you know, stare at your phone too much, and, or whatever. It, Celebrate Recovery is there to help you. Apply the gospel to your life and find victory in your life. In other words, if you feel spiritually dead inside right now, or you feel like you're falling asleep, you better be in Celebrate Recovery tomorrow night. And one of the first things that you learn in Celebrate Recovery is that the only way to find freedom is to admit that you're not free. Step five in the 12 steps. We made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step six, we admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. When you go to celebrate recovery, this is so, it, it is intimidating, but it is so freeing. You introduce yourself at CR by saying, my name is, fill in the blank, and I struggle with, and you tell the list. And I know that to some of you that sounds terrifying. Because you're like, man, there would be so much shame if I told a room of people all my stuff. But you ask anyone who has committed themselves to this program and they will tell you that by bringing their darkness into the light, they have been given new life. God has restored their joy and Christ himself has shined upon them. So celebrate recovery Monday nights, 730 at 6921 4th Avenue. I'd love for you to be there. See, the first step in waking up is acknowledging that you're asleep to God, to yourself and to others. See, this church in Sardis, they thought they were doing great. They had a reputation, but the truth is they needed to wake up. The second thing Jesus teaches is if you've fallen asleep, how to find your get your life back is to strengthen what remains. A few months ago, I was out for a run and uh, I ran a pretty hard workout trying to get back in shape. And uh, I ran a pretty hard workout out on the promenade. And when I finished, you know, my, when I stopped, my Achilles tendon, just it was throbbing. And once I stopped, I couldn't get started going again. And I was trying to jog back home and I'm just like hobbling, you know, uh, the, the final mile back to my house. And I get home, I put it on ice. I call my physical therapist. She emails me a few pages of stretches and workouts and exercises. And not a single exercise had anything to do with my Achilles. 
I was like, what? I said, what's going on? And she's like, you have tendonitis. She's like, you don't, want to, you don't want to aggravate the Achilles anymore. And I was like, well, what can I do to strengthen my Achilles? She's like, you just got to let it heal. She's like, the only way you can strengthen your Achilles is by strengthening everything else around it. So I've been doing, for the last eight weeks, I've been doing calf workouts. One day, my calves are going to be as amazing as John Padilla's. <laughs> I've been doing hip workouts, quads, hamstrings, glutes. I've been working every muscle in my leg because she says that if you strengthen all that is around that which is injured, that which is injured can begin to heal. She told me if I put too much strain on my Achilles, I'll destroy it. But if I want it to heal, I have to strengthen everything around it. And as I do that, the Achilles will heal in time. And when I find myself struggling in my faith, And when I find myself falling asleep, I have found that Jesus is not lying when he says, if you find the areas where life still remains and you strengthen those things, that which you feel like is dying can be healed as well. See, I'm always tempted when I'm struggling in my faith, when I'm having when I feel like I'm having like spiritual dry seasons or sleepy seasons. One of the ways I'm tempted, I'm always tempted. I love to learn new things. I love to try new things. And I'm always tempted when I'm in a dry season to, I'm like, I got to shake myself out of this. I got to go find like the newest thing that'll help me recharge my spiritual life. So whether it's like, you know what? I heard like one of my friends took a week long silence retreat out in the woods. I'm like, I should do that. Yeah, that's a terrible idea. I would lose my absolute mind if I did that. But I'm like, or I'm like, oh, I need to go read, you know, something this, or you know, I need to know my Enneagram number, or I need to do whatever, all this sort of stuff. I, I feel like I've, I'm always looking for something new to give my life vibrancy. And I convince myself that I need something new, I need something exciting, I need something different. But the truth is, Jesus says, find the little part of you that's still got some life and strengthen that. Don't go looking for something new. Find the part of you that still has life and go after that. And as you go after that, God will strengthen all that's around it. And listen, I don't know what that is for you. Maybe that's worship. Maybe that's throwing on Spotify playlist of, you know, whatever worship band you listen to or whether that's prayer. Maybe it is a week long silence retreat for you. Not for me, but maybe for you. Maybe it's listening to sermon podcasts or reading or serving What areas do you still feel some vibrancy or strength in? Do that. Give yourself to what remains and pay attention to how the Spirit is working in you and watch God strengthen you like only He can. And as you do this, your strength can begin to spread. What still brings you life that can strengthen that which has fallen asleep? Strengthen what remains. Finally, Jesus says, remember what you have received and heard. This is verse three. He says, remember then that what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. And I love this here because Jesus says, how do you wake up a sleepy Christian? You remind them to remember what they already know. I mean, we're always looking for something new, aren't we? We're always looking to go deeper or I want to go. I want to learn more. Or I got I want to study this or that. And remember, I'm convinced that most of you, if you have been a Christian for longer than, you know, a few months, If you've read the scriptures any length of time, it's if you're dry right now, it's not that you need something new. It's just you need to remember what brought you joy in the first place. 
Jesus doesn't tell them to do more. Jesus doesn't tell them to try harder. Jesus doesn't tell them to learn the latest spiritual secret or get aboard the newest you know, Christian trend. He tells them to remember what they first received and heard and keep it and repent. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is Colossians 2, 6 through 7. And I've, I've committed this to memory and I encourage you to do it as well. Paul says, just as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. How did you receive Jesus? By grace through faith. You recognized that you were a sinner in need of grace. You gave your life over to Christ. You trusted that his life, his death and resurrection was enough to cover you of your sins, to cover you of your shame and give you new life, a new name, a new inheritance. And when you first heard that and when that first went deep into your soul, do you remember how much joy that brought you? Just as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. And many of us think that, well, we received Christ Jesus through the gospel. We prayed this prayer. Jesus' forgiveness became real to us. But we've got to walk in learning a whole bunch of new stuff. And we've got to do, we've got to become mature and we need meat. The truth is, there's enough meat in the simple gospel that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again for you to chew on for the rest of your life. As just as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. At the center of Christianity is something we call the gospel. It simply means good news. And it's the good news that even though we were once dead in our sins, God made us alive through Christ. Now I want you to just hear these words spoken over you. They're not over the screen. I just want you to hear these words. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do not be, become numb to what that verse says. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever you believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Romans 5, Romans 6, Romans 8 says that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 8.9 You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might be become rich. First Timothy 1.15, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That, my friends, is the good news of the gospel. Jesus lived a perfect life, yet he died in our place. And he says that all who follow me, all who believe in me, trust in me, your sins will be forgiven, your shame will be removed, and your future will be secure. Are you asleep? Jesus says, remember what you have received. Go back to the beginning, the joy you first had. Revisit that. I saw a video years ago. I think it was in my missions class in seminary. 
There's a story of there was a missionary that went to, I can't remember where it was, but it was a remote part of the world where they had never uh, heard uh, of Jesus, never heard of the Bible, never heard of the gospel at all. A missionary goes there, he gets there, he's trying to learn the language, and they don't have any written language, it's just verbal. And so he's like, you know, normally missionaries will try to, they try to translate the Bible and then teach it. And he was like, well, they don't have a written language, what can I do? One of the things that they did was they essentially had theater. That's how they would tell stories was they would act them out. And so he broke up the story and he made a script and he convinced all of the people in the community that they were going to put on a performance. And he gave them parts, Abraham, Moses, and he told the whole story of the scriptures. And then it finally gets up to Jesus and the whole I mean, this is there'd be like two or three hundred people watching this thing. And it finally gets to the story of Jesus and Jesus is, uh, he, he sets up, you know, the Good Friday. Pilate condemns Jesus to death. And then Jesus gets crucified. And all of the people in this village just became, and he did this, he did like one little play a night. And so he, he so Jesus is crucified. And then he's like, all right, everybody plays over. We'll meet back again in three days. And they all went home just dejected. I mean, they were just there. This was Jesus. This was Jesus who had loved the sick, who had fed the, poor, the hungry, who had clothed the poor. This was Jesus who had come. He was, he, was the, he was the Messiah, they thought. And they went home back to their huts, back to their houses with just the absolute. I mean, it just filled their hearts with great sadness. And then three days later on a Sunday, the missionary brings them all together. He's like, there's more to the story. And the guy who was playing Jesus steps out of the makeshift tomb. And says, all who believe in me can have life. But when Jesus stepped out of that tomb and said that all who follow him would have life. I'm not kidding you. This village of people that are as remote as it can get. They erupted in a party. Like dudes, there was a guy crowd surfing. Like they are going, I mean, it was like riots, you know, like they're just going, they're going bananas cheering because they thought that Jesus, they had come to love Jesus. They had come to see him as their teacher, as their master. And when he was killed, they thought that their they, they thought, what good is there in this world if a man like Jesus can die? But when Jesus stepped out of the tomb, they went nuts because they knew that their life had meaning and they knew that their life, that death had been defeated and they went berserk. They're celebrating. Now, I imagine a few years later, these Christians in this village, they're not any different than you and me. There might have been some of them, their spiritual fire began to cool. And they had maybe a time where they felt spiritually dry or asleep. And I'm like, man, I bet that missionary, I bet he could pull out that video and go, hey, do you remember this? Do you remember the joy you had when it first dawned on you that Jesus died in your place and rose from the dead for you? And they're watching the videos like, oh, dude, did I crowd surf? I don't remember that. Wow. And it brings them back. What is that for you? Do you remember? Can you remember the joy you had when it first became a reality to you that Jesus died in your place and rose for you? See, we this is why we do communion every week. We do communion every week as a reminder to remember what we first heard and received. And every week we come and we receive the body and the blood of Jesus, the bread and the wine. We receive it to remind ourselves that Jesus Christ 
lived the life we can never live. He died the death that we deserve. But because we are in Him, because we have tasted of Him, because we have consumed Him and are in Him, we now have life. Because Jesus died, we don't have to. And we take communion every week to remind ourselves of what we have received and what we have heard. Now, Jesus ends, he says, there's a few names in Sardis, this is verse four, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot out his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Think about that for a moment. What will that be like when Jesus confesses your name to his father? And he says, he's with me, he's good. Bring out the white robe. He who has an ear, let him hear. See, the reward for those who wake up, the, rewards who, the reward for those who will fix their eyes on Jesus and come alive in God, white clothes and a name in the book of life. And there is so much grace in that because that means, listen, this is a church that was dead, Jesus says. But he says, there's still a reward waiting for you if you'll set your eyes on me. And that means that you're in this room this morning and you have drifted and you feel like you're asleep It doesn't matter how far you are. It doesn't matter how dead you are, Princess Bride friends. It doesn't matter if you're mostly dead or all the way dead. There's resurrection and he can bring you back. And when he brings you back, not only will he forgive you of your sins, but he will put a white robe on you and he will put your name in the book of life and he will confess your name before his father. There is grace in that. There's no no distance you could run in which God would not welcome you back. I heard a story years ago of a married couple The wife committed adultery. And when she was busted, she walked out on her husband. She went to live with her new lover and she sort of started this new life for herself. And meanwhile, the husband, of course, was brokenhearted. But he prayed for his wife every day. And he kept the house clean and he kept her stuff in order, hoping that she would come home. And months went by, months went by, months went by, and she continued with her adultery. Until finally she realized that her new relationship was shallow. It was based on lust and not love. It wasn't based on commitment. And she felt empty. She felt used. And she felt shame. And so she swallowed her pride and she went home. And she knocked on the door. Her husband opened the door. And he immediately scoops her up and picks her up. Like a new bride being carried over the threshold. And he carried her through the house down the hallway and into the bedroom. And he laid her on the bed. He undressed her. And then he opened up the closet and hanging on the door, ready for this moment, was her white dress from their wedding day. And he proceeded to put the wedding dress on her. He kissed her on the lips and he said, welcome home, my beloved bride. Verse five, the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. Listen, we we continually drift spiritually. All of us do. We fall asleep and we lapse in our love for God. But Jesus says repent. And repent means to come home, to turn around. And the Bible promises that when we do, he will always be ready to embrace us and welcome us back and put us back in the white clothes of purity. And perhaps you're asleep today. I want you to let this time of communion be a time of coming back home of waking up, of strengthening what remains, remembering what you first heard and received, 
and believing in faith that God is clothing you in purity and in victory and that there is coming a day where you will stand before God and Jesus and he will say, why should I let you into my kingdom? And Jesus will speak up and say, Father, his name's in my book. Let him in.